0: Welcome to Waypoint. We're in a series where we're trying to remember what God did for us. He sent a baby. If you're almighty, powerful creator of the universe, is that your foot forward to show people your power? Send a baby that's going to have to be cared for, fed, comforted by the very people He's there to rescue. But that's what He did. And we've been talking over the last few weeks about what he was trying to do by doing that. And we're going to continue that this morning by looking at something that seems obvious because everybody's talking about it, but we're going to have to look at the story. I I think that one of the reasons God sent a baby was to introduce hope into the story. Your story, my story. Hope. This belief that we could get something that we don't necessarily deserve, better than we deserve, maybe better than we could possibly imagine. That's, that's hope. And if you're paying attention, it's everywhere right now. I, d- I did a little search. There is a Hope Festival out in Pennsylvania that they have every year. It's a Christmas festival that they do, and it carries the name Hope. If you go into a store... You're probably going to see it on sign somewhere where hope is going to be displayed. And you, you have this sense that this has just got to be part of the season because there it is. It's, we're seeing it everywhere. I found a campaign where they were using the word to raise funds for people who were in need. The hope campaign. I found an article because everybody's like talking about hope. You, it's clickbait, right? You click on this and it'll tell you how you can have hope. 10 easy steps right? It's fantastic. You see it everywhere except the one place you would expect to see it. It's not in the Christmas story. You cannot find the word hope, and you cannot find the concept talked about openly. I read this every year. Like, I like, I, I like this time of year I think it's a big deal, and so I read. And I would say, look, having read the story over and over, I might be able to point at Zachariah and Elizabeth and say, they long for a child, and now they get to have a child. Maybe that's a story of hope. Simeon wanted to see the Messiah and finally does. Maybe that's a story of hope. But the two main people in the story, you are hard-pressed to look at their story and find elements of hope. And for years, I have read it, and I, w- I would tell you that I just don't see it in there. Let's start with Mary. This is what it says about Mary. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before she came together, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, I know it says pledged, There was a process that you entered in in the Jewish culture um, that they hadn't completed all the steps yet, but this is way past engagement. That's not that. These two people are committed to this, and what's happened is they haven't completed the whole process, and she's pregnant, and in their culture, this is a problem, Not only could you be condemned, rejected by your whole community, there was actually the possibility that they could stone her. I mean, you read that, you see how this is unfolding, you understand their culture, and you'd be hard-pressed to say, ah, she's filled with hope. She thinks this is going to turn out better than she can possibly imagine. Let's consider Joseph. Most theologians think he was an older guy, who is doing a family some sort of favor by marrying this young teenager? It makes sense because you're not gonna find Joseph later in the story. When Jesus' ministry is unfolding, he's not to be found. He's probably passed away because he was older when this whole thing got started. Did you see how he found out that she was pregnant? There's some sort, he learned it, he discovered it. It was an observation. Can you imagine the conversation? where Joseph walks up and goes, uh, uh, what's up? And Mary's like, it's not my diet, surprise, right? I mean, what do you say? She didn't go to him right away. Nobody would have believed her. Nobody was going to believe her now. And we know how Joseph responds. This is verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, I know it said pledge, but they're in a process they might as well be. They just haven't finished the completed process. Her husband was faithful to the law, going to be really important later, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's divorcing her. Do you think that is an action of a man who thinks that this is going to turn out better than he could imagine, better than he had hoped? No. In his mind, this relationship is over. You're an older guy doing a favor to a family. You feel embarrassed? You feel mocked? We don't know. We see his response. He's going to end this. Which. All of this stuff reminds me of a saying that we have in our culture: "Don't get your hopes up." Have ever had anybody say it to you? Have you ever said it to yourself? I realize, thinking about this, I actually, I actually have done this a lot in my life, where I, where I think I'm being smart by choosing to not get my hopes up. I've been. Um, watching my wife deal with some problems that are not easily resolved over the last four months. And usually this is where I would be the hero and I would step in and I would say, honey, don't get your hopes up, right? But I'm, I'm getting ready for this message and I'm, I'm doing some processing and I'm realizing that what I'm saying by, by saying that is keep your expectations as low as possible. And I'm not sure that's the best thing for the human soul. Now, there are times when I use it in the healthiest way you can imagine, right? So um, this is the time of year when Tracy's like slowing down and we'll have time to hang out a little bit more. And so she'll come to me and she'll go, can you find a comedy for us to watch together? And I know when she says that, uh, Austin brought this up last week, I'm pretty sure what she means is a hallmark Christmas movie because they're a joke, right? <laughs> now, now listen, um, my wife cannot stand suspense in any kind of movie. It drives her nuts. The opening credits of the movie go off, and she starts asking questions about the end of the movie like I should know. Like, is that the bad guy? Is he did it? Is he going to die? I mean, I, I don't even know the plot yet. Like, I've tried to convince her. That movie in Latin means view in silence, silencium, right? It doesn't, but I really want her to believe that. So um, two weeks ago, she had this idea that we would watch this movie, and I picked this gem. Yay! Five minutes into the movie... My wife blurts out, and you're thinking, a question? No, not this time. She blurts out the plot and how the story will end. And I knew in my heart she was right because it was the dumbest thing I had ever heard. <laughs> and then for the next two hours, we watched to confirm that she had it right in the first five minutes of the movie. Now, that might be enough to drive you nuts, but that's not the main things that drive me nuts with these kind of movies. What drives me nuts the most is when she says, while watching these movies, oh, isn't that sweet? No, no, it's not. Like, no man would ever act that way. That's, that's crazy. Isn't that? No, no, that's unrealistic. Like, this is, this is fantasy fiction. I realized, I realized finally that it was science fiction. I know that genre, and that's bad science fiction, right? It's horrible. It's not romantic. It's insane. Because real life isn't anything like that. And as she's sitting there going, isn't that romantic? <laughs> you can hear it welling up in me, can't you? You can hear it. You can hear it coming from my depths. Don't get your hopes up. And I mean it. Like, that's crazy. It's so unrealistic. I don't like these unrealistic expectations being introduced into our relationship that no man in the world would ever be able to achieve. If you want hope, you need it for something real. You, you need hope to show up when you have a health scare. You need hope to show up when the relationship is strained, when you're lonely, when you're feeling stressed out. You need it when that job or that business opportunity that you thought was a lock seems to be drifting away. You need it in these moments in life that are hard and difficult and real. And you know what we do in those moments? We tell ourselves, don't get your hopes up. Manage your hope. Protect yourself. Because if you can keep a lid on hope, then you won't be disappointed, you won't be hurt, you won't be upset by this. And I just wonder, has anything great ever been accomplished without hope? Has any bold choice ever been made without hope? Believing that maybe this could turn out better than I deserve, maybe even better than I could have imagined. And yet, we think it's wise to tamp down the hope. In fact, if I was on the scene, I thought that it would have been wise To look at Mary and say, Mary, don't get your hopes up. He's going to divorce you. Joseph, look at me. Don't get your hopes up. She's pregnant. It's not yours. Manage it. Find a way to tamp this thing down. You don't want to get hurt. These two were looking at real hardship. It was the moment where they would want to experience hope. And yet I wasn't seeing it in their story, which then caused me to ask this question. What if, what if hope doesn't come in your story? What if it's a choice that you make outside of your story? What if hope is something that you choose? And so I reread, I reread the Christmas story with those kind of thoughts in mind. And I stumbled across something that I had not seen before that made me think, oh, my word, I think there's hope in the story. Let me, let me show this to you. Let's go back to Joseph's response. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Quietly. Divorce, I understand. The tone he's choosing at this point, I do not understand. Have you ever, ever been at a place where you felt like you've lost hope? Is your first instinct to act kind to those people around you? Like if you felt betrayed, is your first instinct to, I want to just keep this quiet? Like, you don't maybe you don't want to be embarrassed, but you're talking to your friends and you're unloading on that person who betrayed you. Like, you're making it as public as possible that you weren't the one who did this. And I mean, especially the person who did the harm to you. Are you looking to find a way to act kindly to that person? Not in our culture, not in their culture. This is not normal. And I think it looks like an act of hope that somehow in Joseph's mind, he was looking at the situation and thinking, if I respond this way, maybe this can turn out better than she deserves. Maybe this can turn out better than I can even imagine. I went and looked at Mary's life. I'm going to just put it up on the screen. This is in Luke 1. This is what she's told. And as soon as she's told this, she has to know how this is going to go down. She has to know that most people are not going to believe her. She has to know that now she's going to be in a place where she could be in poverty for the rest of her life, rejected by her community. She even knows that her life could be at risk under this scenario. I'm going to be pregnant, but I'm not going to be with a man. Yeah, this is going to be easily explained. She knows. And yet, we have this in verse 38. This is Mary's answer. May your word to me be fulfilled. In English, I'll do it. Why? It's a a choice. Out of all the possibilities that could have been, this strikes me as an act of hope. I think this could turn out better than I deserve. I think this could turn out better than I could possibly even imagine. And in both both of these people's lives, there is hope. And the question is, Where did it come from? Why in the world did they have it? And if you're hoping to scour through the Christmas story to come to some conclusion, because it's not talked about, it's not discussed, it's not even highlighted as a story, you're not gonna find it there. And so what I started doing is I started reading everywhere else. I started looking through the scriptures for hope. I was trying to figure out how hope worked, what it was all about, what what were God's intentions with it, And I found something that has nothing to do with the Christmas story, that has everything to do with the Christmas story. So in Hebrews chapter 6, I want to take you there, and you're going to have to be patient because it's not about Christmas. uh, We don't know who the author is, but he is recalling the relationship between God and Abraham. God and Abraham have this um, interesting thing where God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he's wanting Abraham and all of his descendants to believe that, to trust in that. And so the author is discussing this. And he says this in verse 17 of Hebrews chapter six. He said, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his very purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. There's a lot of words to say this. God had a motive. His motive was to make Abram into a great nation. And he planned to do that by doing something. Two unchangeable things, it says. Or he had a very clear purpose in mind. And so he was going to do something to make sure that the heirs knew this was firm. At the end of verse 17, it says this He confirmed it with an oath honestly, that's weird. It's much weirder than you think. And the writer goes on to try to explain why God giving an oath is weird. And he says, "Um, God did this so that by two unchangeable things. Two unchangeable things? What are the two? The first we just learned about, it's actually the second, the oath. The oath is the second thing God's going to do to make sure that Abraham and all of his descendants know that God's going to fulfill his promise. What was the first thing that he did? He gave his word. He gave his word that he was going to do this. The kind of word that when God said, let there be light, it happened. His ability to speak... And for things to happen, showed his power, gave you confidence. You knew you could count on it, which brings us to the question, why does God need to make an oath? If he's going to make an oath, he's going to swear by his very name because that's the, only, that's the highest thing you could possibly swear against. So he already said he would do it. Why would he follow it up with a promise to do it? Why would he do that? Well, the scriptures actually give us a hint. Now, this is the second part of verse 18. And I'm going to read it to you in a literal translation. I, I like using the NIV. It tries to make things clear. But sometimes if a word's confusing, it just pulls it out and puts in a, bit, a different word so that you'll understand it. But in some cases, those weird, odd words are supposed to be there so that you'll go, well, that's weird, what's this about? That's exactly what's happening here. This is what it says. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of hope set before us. Why is God making a promise and then following it with an oath? Because he's trying to strongly encourage the heirs of this promise to hold on to hope, to believe that it was something that it could be for them. And he uses a very odd word to describe this. He says refuge. That word was intentionally used to cause us to remember something that used to happen in the Old Testament. So in those times, if you you killed somebody, if you went out and killed somebody, what would happen is a system of justice kicked into place. Somebody from the the family who's like the person who's been killed would be assigned to seek you out and kill you. And both sides of the family would consider it just done over. There'd be no feud. You killed somebody. You lost your life for it. that's That's what you earned. But what would happen... If you accidentally killed somebody, like it wasn't your intention, like the horse ran over them and it got away or whatever, and and they died, what would happen in that scenario? Well, in that scenario, somebody in their family would be assigned to come and kill you. That, That didn't change. It was life for life for them back then. Except here was the problem. The way God saw it, because they, that person didn't intentionally want to kill somebody, they could go to a city called a city of refuge. And there were a whole bunch of them set up all over. And if you fled there, like if you, if you ran to that city and you made it inside, you could live the rest of your life without fear of being killed. And the, the image was this. If you accidentally killed somebody, you fled for your life because what you deserved was death. But if you could make it to that city of refuge, you could be filled with a life of hope. Like your life could be better than what you deserve. It could go on longer than you could imagine because this place of refuge existed. This, my friends, is the picture that God is painting here. This is where hope comes from. I say things, you flee to it, you hold on to it. And it infuses hope. What kind of hope? Listen to this. This is verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 6. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. See, the hope that God is trying to introduce into our life is meant to be an anchor. It's meant to be this thing in the middle of a storm that you hold on to. And it doesn't matter. It's Like, it doesn't shift. It's solid. It's something that you can count on. It's something that carries you through. And yet, we don't always count on it, do we? It's kind of weird. We sometimes do the opposite. We tell ourselves, Don't get your hopes up. Don't don't get your foundation up. Don't get this thing that could be firm and solid for you going. Is that really what we tell ourselves? So what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, I want to show you. Because I think this stuff starts to make tons of sense to me when I understand that God's hope was meant to come from his words that we're trusted, that we flee and hold on to. Listen to this. This is in the middle of Joseph's response where he chooses to quietly divorce Mary. This is what it says about him. Because Joseph was faithful to the law. (laughs) The words of God mattered to Joseph. Joseph. He was trying to organize his life around what they said and what they meant. So in one of the worst moments of his life when he finds out that he's been betrayed, he doesn't rely on his instincts. He actually relies on what God said and he responds with kindness. He responds with an attitude of hope because he trusted the word giver whom he was paying attention to. What about about Mary? Back in Luke 1, you see those words. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. She's given the word of God and it's why she decides to say, I'm in. She decided that she would trust God the words of God, ahead of what she thought her experience could be. I'm going to place my hope in what you say. And because of that, I'm going to act in a way that believes this could turn out better than I could possibly imagine. Because everything that I could imagine is not good. Now here's where it gets interesting. This is where it gets personal for you and me. Uh, band, if you can make your way up here, that would be great. In John chapter 1, this is what's said about Jesus, this baby come to earth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, it's not just that God said, I love you. He then sent a baby as evidence. It's not that he said, I want to find a way to make peace with you. This baby would go to the cross, face the grave, and come back to life so that you could be at peace with God. What God did was he wrapped his intentions, his words, in a human flesh, and he set him before us. He said, if you want to understand how much I care about you, if you want to understand the hope that's available for you, here's my son. The word in flesh among you, among us, seeing who he was. I believe it was his intention to infuse hope into our stories. So many times our hope is dependent on how our story is or how our story's going and it was never meant to be that way. Our story was meant to be found in Jesus and if we would run to him, if we would flee to him, if we would hold on to him, there would be this chance that our lives could turn out better than we deserved, would turn out better than we could ever imagine because someday we would be with him And he didn't just talk about it. He did something. He came in human flesh so that you would have hope. I'm I'm hoping that as they play this song, this will start to make sense with you. That it's not necessarily our stories that define whether we have hope or not. It's the choice of who we put our hope in after they're done with that I'm gonna come back and finish our lives seem to go from highs and lows of goods and bad just kind of riding the wave and neither of them are really great for hope if things are going so well we don't think we need it I don't I don't really need hope right now things are going well for me and when it's going bad we have this thing where we say don't get our hopes up and we actually try to tamp our hopes down so that we can manage any kind of disappointment or despair. And what God had in mind is that you would place your hope in something trustworthy. The word of God became flesh. He dwelt among us And if you choose to run to him, if you choose to hold on to him, you can have an everlasting source of hope that's real for you right here, right now. It's Christmas. You should get your hopes up. Like instead of burying these things, you should realize what God has done for you. As a a follower of Jesus, your life is gonna turn out better than it deserves. It's gonna turn out better than you can possibly imagine because you're with him. And he is the source of hope and he has been trying to infuse it in our lives from the beginning where it will be a foundation that you stand on, that will be an anchor in difficult times. You should get your hopes up. There's a reason for it. His name is Jesus. And it was what he always intended for you. So let me just ask the question Are you still filled with hope? Because that's what he has wanted for you this whole time. Let me pray with you. God, I think it's your desire to fill our hearts with a sense of, it it doesn't really matter what my story is right now, I trust you, I have hope in you, I think you're bigger than this. I think the outcomes that I'm looking at are nothing compared to what I get by being connected to you. God, I ask that you would bring us as a community As a group of followers here at Waypoint Community Church, may we come to you asking for this hope to be refilled in us. We were always meant to live this way. God, give us the courage to back away from tamping down the hope and let us place it in you. May you fill our lives with hope as we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.